Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid thoughts on a few ideas we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we've done a DuPont formula screen, which looks for those companies that are generating high return on assets uh, as a function of margin and asset turnover. And uh, we've got some very interesting results. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. It's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week. But here on the show, it's a little bit after hours. Uh, and while we do a lot of very careful fundamental analysis uh, during the week, we've done absolutely uh, none of that here on the show. Um, so beware. Third, um, and our lawyers say to remind you that we may not have your best interests in mind, so do your own work. And fourth, and it is the holidays. We have been we've, drinking. We've been heavily drinking. Not heavily, but tomorrow, oh, tomorrow is a Christmas party, and, and the kitchen is – if the kitchen looked like that all the time? Yeah. Oh. We did have a delivery. I would come in there. and work more often. Uh, see all our caveats. Uh pictures our moms took and other bios etc at www.thevalueguys.com and uh i guess uh, what else we have out there is we do have a show called uh the value guys stock clips where you can fast forward through all this jabbering and you'll get right to the stocks we're talking about and that's also on itunes or google or twitter or wherever stock clips of course, you'll miss this exciting band. Value Guys movie reviews coming up soon. Stay tuned yeah. and watch out for that, too. So we've got uh, this week four exciting ideas, uh, and they came off this DuPont screen. And I actually, we screened just on the return on assets, and the valuation came completely separate later. So it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty good screen for you, Mo, in that a lot of these charts look pretty good. And then we started looking for uh, some good values. Uh, we've got this week Bally. Ticker BYI, Heartland Payment Systems, HPY, JB Hunt, uh, Trucker, JBHT, and Papa John's, the Pizza Guy, PZZA. Uh, but before we get to that, this is really my favorite part of the show. It's called uh, Value Guys Wall Street News featuring Mo Mentum. Mo. Well, there, take there, it away. Mike. There's been some great news. Yeah, shout out to UBS for the 1.3 billion settlement. It's nice to have that behind them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Money laundering. I wonder if they were dry cleaning it or washing. Either way, is illegal. I well, think. you know, it's a it's a you know drug lords. They also had some problems with LIBOR. Evidently, they were manipulating that. Hmm. Which again, these these regulators they they hate that. Yeah, and if it wasn't if it wasn't for the regulators, they wouldn't be in trouble. They That's would not. the problem with regulation. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Anyway, speaking of uh, drug money and laundering and all sorts yeah. of stuff, um, we know that Washington and Colorado, big shout out to those states, have now yeah. legalized marijuana. Yeah, big tourist attraction now. And um, 
as far as finance news goes, we are now seeing the beginning of a a finance business focused on new industry, basically whole new industry. So you have to go look this up on the website Privateer Holdings P R I V A T E E R Holdings. I can't make this up. Privateer Holdings. Privateer Holdings. Now, Privateer Holdings. Brendan Kennedy. Brendan Kennedy is the COO of this company. Do you know him? I do not, but he's a BA from Berkeley, so this sort of makes perfect sense. These are private equity guys that have raised the first tranche of private equity capital I, to I, invest I, exclusively in the pot business. Yeah, no, I, a guy, a friend of mine, uh, acquaintance, I'll just say here on the air, went to that uh, meeting. Ah, well, yeah. so he's a, this guy's got a BA from Berkeley, which sort which, of explain, a explains a yeah. lot, but he's got an MS in engineering and a Yale MBA. Hmm. So he's kind of so he's got a lot bases. of experience in this uh, marijuana business. The, the, the second partner is a guy named uh, Michael Blue. He's got a Yale MBA, of course. And uh, these guys won a business planning competition in Yale. I don't and know if this was their plan. I don't know if this was their plan, but they've raised seven million <clears throat> in the first round of financing. Seven million. Seven million dollars. And they are focused exclusively on the marijuana industry. Now, this is this, this is. Stay tuned for the next show. Okay, um, there are. Let me get this number right. Twenty publicly traded companies that cater to the marijuana industry. Really? They're small caps. There's, there's no right up screen here. for that. Yet. I think there's a whole fund that we could create for these. Companies fund of fun twenty to fund of fun <laughs> yes yeah it it would be the it would be the sin fund as yeah. opposed to the non sin well fund. wait a minute now this is for a lot of times I mean it's for medicinal purposes in a lot of these places right if you if, it's, no but now that you've got legalization you know what's interesting is you have companies that are indoor farming suppliers pharmaceutical labs financial services companies that just cater to the pot industry. Um, they, they, a couple of these companies have bigger than forty million market cap. You think you could get those into your fund? Uh, I think you'd have to do the valuation. Um, well, there's a there's a and see. I mean, uh, there's a valuation firm out there called C Change S E E C Change Change yeah. Strategies. Yeah, and they said uh, in 2011, pre pre legalization, the pot industry was 1.7 billion. In medical supplies, medical marijuana, which they expect to go to 8.9 billion by 2016, and that was before legalization. Wow! So now you look at that that kind of a growth rate, growth and industry. you look at these guys. You now they now they've said publicly in their, their first round capital raise that. Um, so here's the numbers in Washington. They're thinking. 360,000 people are expected in the first year to be buying pot at state licensed stores and they think that's a billion dollars in so, uh Washington, in Washington Colorado no just Washington just Washington just Washington so that's a billion dollar business which is about you know given uh, the numbers it's um $2700 for each person which is $230 a month which i understand from you that that's really not a lot to spend per month you understand from me what well are you i think about? you've done you were on the website looking at the research well, it looks like pricing is uh, three to four hundred dollars per ounce. There you go. And I guess uh, so that that sort of makes some sense. So you look at what these guys are doing, and you think pretty interesting. So the first purchase that they've made is a is a website 
Yeah. Called Leafy. Leaf. Lee, we Leafly. L e a f l y dot com. Leafly dot com. And uh, it is a website that rates. Yeah. The what? What are they? It's like a like a, the the a wine rating. Yeah. Well, you don't want to get a, a bad one. Five hundred. So we have it up on the screen yeah. here. If you if you get on this website and take a look at it's it, it's pretty amazing. What it, it, it looks like the periodic table. It is the periodic table. So pull yeah. pull, pull one up and let's see. I, I like Trainwreck. Let's take a look here. Okay. So there's 288 <laughs> reviews for Trainwreck. Oh wait a minute, yeah. we have a bar chart here, yeah. and uh, it is uh, r- ranks number one for st- stress, stress relief. So that should be popular on Wall Street. How is Trainwreck relieve stress? I thought Trainwreck would create. Yeah. If you were in a train wreck, would that relieve well, your stress? You'd have to question the name on that. It's like, so young man, uh, you've got a lot of anxiety, and we need to calm you down. And the thing you need is train wreck. I mean, how do you keep a straight face when you're saying that? I don't know, but they're saying that it's a stress reliever, number one. It's an anxiety reliever, number two. Those go hand in hand, I imagine. It's a pain reliever, and it helps insomnia, and it helps lack of appetite. Those are the medical uses. See, there's a tab here for Uh, effects. Effects. How it makes people feel. Let's look what that looks like. Let's get into that a little bit. How does it make you feel? Oh, Oh, Here we go. Euphoric. Some of the selling points. Uplifted. Uplifted. Happy. (laughs) Lazy is a big one. And creative. Lazy, happy, and creative. I mean... Oh, uh, are there any negatives? There's a negative. There's a during most of their (laughs) touring years. (laughs) Let's see. Are there any negatives for this? It says... Unfortunately, some uh, patients experience some negatives. Dry mouth, dry eyes, paranoia, dizziness, anxiety, suicidal tendencies. Oh, that's not on here. No, I I mean, if you're dizzy and anxious, I mean... Uh, and uh, it, hunger isn't one of them. Evidently. Yeah, that's true. But that gets that's. So I don't know uh, how this is rated seven point nine out of ten. I wonder if there's a way you can find uh, what the ten out of yeah, ten well, is. Let's see if we can somehow get the number. Go back the to the beginning one. of them. What are the best? I don't know how you just get the best one here. There are uh, there. There's a part of this website tells you where you can buy this. They do delivery now. You know where we are is not legal, but they they uh, if you have enough money, they'll deliver it by private jet. Yeah. Um. I don't know how that works, but I don't you can. Know how you uh, rank this? I'm, I'm, uh, but you you want to you want to click in. Um. If you're if you're interested in the deals, uh, look at Privateer Holdings, and uh, here's a way to play that business. Uh, multi-billion billion billion dollar industry. And uh, of course, we have been uh, we've talked with them a little bit. Well, look at these names. I just did a sort here. These are <laughs> all the strains that provide euphoria, which is I think what you just want. for euphoria. Yeah, just for euphoria. Um, they came up with four hundred and five yeah. strains. So there's don't uh, they all provide euphoria? Uh, not to the way these do, my uh, friend. Uh, you've got your headband, hmm. your acapulco gold. I mean, that was a name That's when an I old was one. in college. Yeah. But here's some um, AK forty seven. Not the best uh, name these days. Alaskan Thunder. Alaskan Thunder. And I don't want to say this bad word. We're a family show. But there are some bad words here. Uh, Armageddon Amnesia Haze. So don't <laughs> take that before a test. Apollo 11 BC Roadkill. That's a good one. How, so, there, yeah, there are 400 of these. And so it does. It looks exactly like a periodic table. Yeah, they've done it that way. Dopium. Uh, earthquake. Dopium wasn't that one of the seven dwarfs? Fruity pebbles. Fruity pebbles. 
God's gift is one. God bud. Let's check that. That looks pretty good. Well, there's 18 reviews on God bud. God bud. And a lot of great medical uses on that one. Um, Super powerful. If you've ever done LSD and you're prone to flashbacks, this can trigger some pretty <laughs> noticeable shifts in contrast and colors if you smoke enough. Did a point three grav, whatever that is. A grav. I don't know what that is. That's a technical term. We don't know. We're too old. A 0.3 grav of Romulan and then a point three grav of this wonderful stuff. I was going way down on the Romulan, but within two minutes of taking the God Bud, everything started to get much clearer. And feel absolutely <laughs> overjoyed and, frankly, just <clears throat> ridiculous. Yeah. The only negative is that if you smoke too much of this, you uh, you end up alone, and you're not prepared to be alone. You're probably going to have a freakout. Wow, this is well, some great reviews. So you'd want something to offset that anxiety. Be another strain of an animal. Well, that's obviously what he's doing. So they're Somalier yeah. sort of ideas, but so so obviously. So one of the other groups that's uh, been mentioned is a group called Arc View Group. Troy uh, Dayton is the CEO of that, and he's a marijuana industry angel investor group. And uh, we've become tentatively involved with them on our we side have. of the business. We are. Oh, you have. Uh, yeah, on our side. Um, you know, we are we're in the process of the final stages. We're the one of the final bidders uh, to acquire the Twinkie brand, and so the ah, idea. Obvious, I'm ahead of you. I see where you're going. Obvious right. synergy. Yeah. Obvious synergy. Right. You marry, you know, you marry the uh, the mar- marijuana dispensary coffee shop Twinkie. Right. You know, Twinkie consumption has been going down, but I think now with legalization, you could see. Skyrocket. Not only does it have the nostalgia appeal, it's good for you. Yes, at least you and sell under people on certain that. circumstances. It tastes good. It does. Yeah. So and uh, it's the, filling. Yeah, there's a lot of news out there. Listen to the next show because what we're going to do is we're going to see if we can come up with some we of are? these forty small cap names. A marijuana. Uh, it may business be. Show? It may be the value guys pot fund, and we see how this tracks the uh, the S and P yeah. and the Russell and. But well, that sounds like a great idea, Mo. It's a, you it's know a, I, what I like about about this show and this this platform is it really is an opportunity for us to give back. You know, do some of this work, and, and the due diligence share. is going to be pretty and then interesting. Share it, and uh, I think that's really the core of what the Value Guys is all about. Yeah. And I got to tell you one last thing about your your Dupont screen. Yeah, when we run these screens out in the past, yes, sir. You know, we get we get a mix of cats and dogs, and some of them yeah. are interesting. I have, I think I, you ran off sixteen names that, yeah. that made it through the Dupont screen, and of those sixteen names, fourteen just had killer, yeah, charts. Well, I thought you might like that. We did a show a few months ago that was a Mo s- screen, but I never, you, you know, I would, I would not have thought that the Dupont RO. I mean, this was stuff when in 1981 yeah. we are studying for the CFA. You're yeah. doing the Dupont. Well, here's the equation. thing: these are all the way we. You know, a lot of times I'll run a valuation screen and choose stocks based on what's cheap, and then look for ones that are good. On this one, we look for companies that were good. So these all have returns on assets, pre-tax return on assets, that's high, top of the charts. And then you're going through there looking for names that um, aren't too expensive. So, yeah, these are all great charts in part because they're all just great companies that have not been 
making a bunch of mistakes. Now the question is: is is this the Dupont? Is this the, the paint guys invented this? Is this formula that came from those guys? Or where, uh, well, how? I believe it's the uh, Dupont uh, family thought this formula. And, well, they did. It was uh, for their own investments, and they felt that you know if you broke things out into margin. So think of this: income over sales. Yeah, is a margin, and then sales over assets is turnover, and of course, as students of algebra may know, if you multiply income over sales times sales over assets, you can cross out the sales, they cancel, as we used to say, and you're left with income over assets, or return on assets. And so, it's a very simple uh, idea of simply... How do companies get a high return on assets, which is what you want? I mean, there's two ways to do it. Have something great that you can charge a lot for and you have a high margin. Or you might have a commodity, but learn how to, you know, move it through your warehouse, get it to the customer, do all that very efficiently from an asset point of view. There's different ways to make good money. And I think this particular DuPont formula and I'm sure there were other people that thought of it before that, like the Rockefellers, for example. There's no Rockefeller. Or the Morgans. But there's no Rockefeller yeah. formula? Well, not that we know about. you got to pay up for that. Is this is an open source. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is open source. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we got a lot of great, a lot of great companies. Well, I tell you what, I wonder, I wonder if there was a way to backtest this to see if we had run this DuPont equation in 2009, if we would have come up with the same names because i got to tell you, these are some of the best-looking charts I have seen in a very long time. Really? There, we got a photo for, for the family on that For posterity. Yeah. Um, well, they're good charts. The question is, can we find some stocks here that will make money for our listeners? Yeah, and I think the big question is, given when you see a stock that's had this kind, you know, run-ups where they've been up 70, 80 percent since, uh, since 2009... Is uh, is the game over? Is there a little more blood that we can squeeze out of these turnips? And so that's where yeah. I hand it over to the value guy. All right, let's get going on to this. see uh, to see what what you're looking at in All terms right. of the numbers. Well, the, the I don't tea know. leaves. Who knows? Okay, so we went through Mo and I, and we're drinking, so we have a lot of time because that's important. We we devote the time to it because we're serious about it, and that gives us a chance to go through some of these stocks. We went through. Over a hundred stocks that came through the screen. We came up with four. And it was just a little more than random that we picked these. First up, Bally Technologies, ticker BYI. Uh, what do they do? They are a worldwide gaming company. And they sell games uh, in terms of gaming, so games you bet on at a casino. And then they also have software that helps you run a casino. So they got basically two businesses. A business that competes with other game companies for the best game, and they move them in and out of casinos as they do well or don't do well, like a candy machine or something like that. But then they have the software business that runs the casino that once you're running a casino on their software, it's not so easy to move in and out because you're running everything on it and you'd have to retrain people and all that. The games move in and out. If it's a bad game, get it out of here. If it's a good game, get it in here. It's like a Xerox machine. You can roll it out, roll it in. The software is like an IBM 
mainframe that, hey, don't roll that out. We got a thousand people working on that. So there's an annuity element. And then, you know, all these stocks we're talking about got through this great screen. So these guys are putting up just tremendous returns. Uh, their return on assets is consistently in the teens, lower teens, but still teens, and they lever that a little bit on the assets to equity to get a return on equity in the in the 30s and sometimes 40s and sometimes upper 20s. But it's a good business. Their debt ratios are, uh, you know, pretty high, 70% debt to capital, but, you know, the business is so stable that their coverage has traditionally been pretty good. Um the valuation is the only rub on these good companies. And on this one, it's eight times EBITDA. So I'm going to look at the inverse of that, one over eight. That's a 12% cash-on-cash return. The company trades in a range of three to 20 over the last five years. So eight is roughly in the midpoint. As you can see, the stock's been flattish for a few years. And I think that's because gambling has been flattish because of the recession. It's a discretionary area that's been slow to recover, but it is slowly recovering. And when we look at their sales, you know, they're still below peak. So in June 08, they had 900 million in sales. June 2012, 879. So they still have not fully recovered. Um, but on the other hand, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're stable. Their EBITDA also flat over that period. So I look at the EBITDA yield, the 12%. Am I willing to accept that without growth? And in this environment, I say, yes, I am. So I'm willing to take the 12%. If they do end up having any growth, I kind of get that for free. And that's how I think about it. The estimates have been pretty stable. There's been no real revisions. Um, and, you know, you got to think, is gambling something that will endure? I come to the view that it's kind of human nature to gamble. People like to gamble. Uh, the world is, you know, gambling more and more. <laughs> if we do go to online gambling, that's another element of this particular company, is they own a lot of the software that around the world runs online gaming in those countries where it's legal, such as the U.K., and we do have some bills in the Congress right now to legalize online gaming in the U.S. in part because we need the tax money. So be a boom for them. Yeah, so that's kind of where I come out on this one. Mo. Well, you know, when I when I looked at first of all, you you know, you got to love the chart, and I'm always a big believer in that. But um, one of the things I noticed was this was a company that had um, 58 million shares outstanding in 2010, and in 2011 that went down to 54 million shares, and then in 2012. 44 million shares. So why are yeah. they buying all these shares back? Because their free cash flows are off the charts. Yeah. This is a company that does almost a billion dollars in revenues, $900 million in revenues, and they really don't have any CapEx. You know, $20 million in CapEx. So they have a little R&D. They're developing some well, games and, and new stuff software. Like that. But, yeah. <clears throat> so when you look at their free cash flow... In 2012, they have $120 million in free cash flow. What are they going to do with all that money? They don't pay a dividend. Yeah. They don't need to They don't need to reinvest it in terms of CapEx or brick and mortar. And so what they've been doing is they've been buying their shares down. Yeah. Now, where you know how long they do that or do they declare a dividend, how long the free cash flow lasts, I'm not sure. All I can tell you is... That this looks to me like a business, as you said, where big picture, sustainable. The uh, you look at the mar the gross margins. This company's gone has been sixty 
to 62% for the last three years. Yeah. Um, Something's up when you see a margin that high. And, and <clears> I think <throat> the barriers to entry are pretty high in this business. Um, yeah. You've got to be connected, as they say. Um, so, yeah, I kind of like it. I think the chart looks great. And uh, if they keep buying back the stock, sooner or later, it's either going to be a private company or you're going to start seeing a dividend. So those are the kinds of things that we look for on a momentum basis. The stock's up almost 17% year to date. Um, so you you got to like it. There, there are 15 analysts that are covering it. Yeah. And uh, the earnings estimates have been pretty stable, so nobody's, you know, nobody's anticipating anything, you know, particularly on the positive side, but more importantly on the negative side. Um, they're located in Las Vegas, so if we decided to pick up coverage of them, I would volunteer to go out and do the due diligence. Yeah, I'd probably tag along to have double due diligence. Another important reason to look at the company. But, uh, yeah, I like it. It's interesting. It's uh, something I would definitely put in the hopper. They've got... Uh, you know, a couple primary competitors to Mo's point, and they don't change a lot. You got International Game Technology, IGT, which right. has been around for a long time, and then you got WMS Industries, which is the old Williams that used to make, you know, pinball machines and such, is where some of this came from. And of course, Bally used to make pinball machines. And then I look at the owners here. Now, wait a minute. Before, yeah. you, before you move from that page, <clears throat> look at these three guys. Yeah. Both International and WMS have got ROEs that are, you know, in the, the 8 to eight to 20% range. And yeah. look at where Valley is. Yeah. That's because of the software that um, I think, you know, once you design it, you know, that takes CapEx, but there aren't a lot of assets. If I sell software... Uh, to companies that then put it on their own computers, um, there's not a lot of assets involved. You get a very high return. Uh, 60, 60% ROE versus uh, high single digits to uh, to 20% for your competitors. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, uh, they're nailing it. And then the last thing I'd say on this is there's a nice group of owners that I like to say. Columbia Acorn Fund. Uh, great fund over many years. I think Newberger Berman, Berman, yeah, they own it. Yeah. Good firm. Eagle, I think, is a subsidiary of Goldman now. Eagles, the, the Florida Eagle? Mm, I believe so. Oh, I yeah. believe so. And then Vanguard, you know, they're uh, they're a pretty well How many Acorn, firm. Columbia Acorn, how many Acorn funds are well, there? Well, there's one, but they must have it. Columbia Acorn is both, interna it's international, including the U.S., and then Columbia Acorn U.S. is just the U.S. So right. they've got it. In both, but that's uh, Bally Technologies ticker BYI. Great chart, smart money. All right. Next up, a company called Heartland Payment Systems ticker HPY. Yep. And again, this came through our uh, Dupont screen. So their return on assets is, uh, huh, not as high as you'd want, but it's in the low sort of teens. Although in the last couple of years it fell below that during the recession, six percent, seven percent, they lost a little money in '09. So that's different than uh, Bally, which never lost money. These guys provide bank card payment processing to merchants in the U.S. And I think in '09 you just had a lot of volume declines, and that probably hit their uh, uh, their margins. Um, but you know when you look through history, their EBIT margins uh, have been, you know, uh, mid-upper single digits, and in the last year they've moved much higher 
it's not clear exactly what's happened. If there's been a pricing change, uh, we talked about maybe there being a mistake in these numbers. Right. So this is a company that's been doing, you know, two billion dollars a year last year. They're probably going to do two billion a year this year. They didn't have a down year, so even in uh, '09, despite the fact that they lost a little money, uh, their sales were actually up a little bit that year. Although their EBIT was down quite a bit and their net income was was negative, so you'd want to dig in a little bit on that. What happened exactly in '09? It looks like there could have been a write-off, so these may have been non-cash charges. That's my suspicion right now. But excluding that. Um, they've got an annuity. Merchants need people to do this kind of thing. They're 6.6 times EBITDA. So again, that's a 16% cash on cash return. That covers a lot of sins. If I can earn a 16% rate, even if it falls in half because of stuff I don't know about, that's still 8% and that's still pretty good. Analyst estimates have been stable. Actually, over six months, they've been rising a bit, which is unusual in this environment. Uh, you got 11 analysts covering it, which is more than I like to see, although they're at a hold. So that means that you do have the potential for them to decide to go to a buy at some time, and that would be a little bit of wind at your back. Um, so, you know, kind of what I'm attracted to here is the nature of the uh, annuity that you have in their business and six times EBITDA. The balance sheet is, uh, you know, medium, 40% debt to capital. Um so you'd want to dig into that a little bit, find out what their rate is and, you know, the maturity date and all that. But I think this is worth a look. It's an annuity. It's six times EBITDA, and uh, that's what I like about you it. You know, one of the things that's, that that I find just fun about looking at a lot of these, these sheets is uh, it's sort of like a forensic analysis. What happened to this company? What can you figure out? I'm looking at the company, and I'm looking at 2009. The stock was down 35% in 2008. And, um, you know, everything, it's interesting. In 2008, revenues went from a billion three to a billion five five. And earnings per share went from 90 cents to a dollar eight. Um, everything looked right for this company but it was down 35%. I always look at that during that crazy period as a lot of stocks were thrown out baby in the bathwater sort of a phenomenon. Yeah. But here's a question for you. You're the value guy, you're the uh you're the forensic expert. In 2009, this stock was down 25%. And the chart looks worse than that. I know yeah. they say 25%, but it was chart. down 34% the year, year before. before that. Tell me, tell me something. Look at 2009 for me. Yeah. Revenues went from a billion five to a billion six and a half. Yeah. Fair? So no change in the revenues. They were tracking. And uh, assets went from, you know, 460 million to 560 million. That looked great. Yeah. Um long no big change. They paid down long-term debt a little bit mm-hmm. and yet earnings went from a buck to minus a dollar 38. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know what it is about a credit card processing company that they could take that are the fixed costs of a business like this. Well, it wouldn't even be the case because revenues were still up. So something happened with with the fact that revenues were up I don't see any big big change in the uh, in the gross margins. I don't see any big change in the EBITDA margins. So they took a big hit. Maybe they wrote something off, 
but it's one of those little anomalies you kind of like to look at and say, hmm, what happened in 2009? Since then, everything has been tracking pretty nicely. Revenues have continued to tick along. EBITDA's continued to tick along, um, which obviously explains why the chart's been so great. But uh, it would be an interesting uh, case study for some students out there to take a look and say, tell me what happened in 2009 that would take a company's earnings down that dramatically when revenues were on track? Even well, they were up a little bit. I think that's a great question, though, because when I look at this, and we are looking at a summary sheet, that's although great. there's a lot of data here, um, EBITDA was down, but not negative. EBIT was down, but not negative. So you see the difference between EBIT and net income here is $100 million, where in most years it's $30 million. So either there was some odd reversal of a tax rate due to some international thing that, you know, we can never always figure, a depreciation figure out. issue, a write-off issue, something. A timing issue, something. But they clearly have taken care of it. And well, so, theoretically, they've, they've, they've uh, cleared the decks and they're ready to go well, forward. Well, even here, Mo, look, I mean, assets did not go down. Right. So there's not a write-off. write-off. Right, right. And, you know, let's see, the, the share count was flat during that period. Right. So I don't know. You know, maybe there was a lawsuit that they got to pay with debt. I don't know. But the debt doesn't go up. Right. So I looked at that and I thought usually when you see, usually when we look at a summary sheet after years of research yeah. and, and, and knowing these companies, you can say, okay, uh, earnings went down. Look at here a, a, a picture. Yeah, here's why or what. Just happened. floats off of the page and you yeah. can say, Revenues did this, debt did this, shares did this here, and you can create a story. Whether you're right or wrong is another question, but you can yeah. at least fabricate a, a realistic it. story. And this is one here is we don't know mystery, mystery. Yeah. So, so fortunately, Harlan, it's three years ago. Right. Right. But and, uh, and we didn't solve it on the show, so maybe readers want to. Somebody should know. figure that out. But yeah. it's six times EBITDA, so it's certainly worth spending a little time. Exactly. Okay. Next up, JB Hunt. Transport Services, Inc., <laughs> ticker JBHT. Now, I've been familiar with this company for a long time. They're a trucking company, and for a lot of years, basically since the truck was invented, trucks had been gaining share from railroads. But about four years ago, five years ago, probably because fuel costs went up, and also the service levels at railroads finally went up. They figured out how to be nice to a customer and all that. It took them a while. Um, then rail started gaining share uh, from trucks. Well, what J.B. Hunt did a few years ago, and you can really maybe credit them for raising the service bar in the railroad, commercial railroad uh, freight industry, which is they partnered up with Burlington Northern, and shared half the revenue on stuff that Burlington Northern was going to carry on these uh, uh, container-carrying cars from the West Coast, which is where all the stuff comes in, to the rest of the country. J.B. Hunt would um, pick up the goods, bring them to the train. The train would take them to wherever they were going in the rest of the country. And then J.B. Hunt would pick them up at the terminal and deliver them, and they would offer a, a short window to the customer. Railroads traditionally were used to saying, hey, we think that's coming in November. Stay tuned. J.B. Hunt would say, we think it's coming between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. on Wednesday. So J.B. Hunt married up this um, 
concern for you know service and short windows of delivery with the low cost of the railroad transportation and they've got a wonderful deal on that and as a result they probably are among the most profitable trucking companies in the business because of the sweet deal with Burlington. In fact, Burlington hates this deal so much that a few years ago they went to court to try to undo it as unconscionable and the court said, uh, sorry buddy, you signed that and it's going to be in force for a long time. So it's been court tested and, and they win. They've got, as we know from the screen, they've got high return on assets, so in the low teens, which isn't as high as you could imagine obviously, but it's pretty high for a transportation company. And then they have, um, you know, return on a on equity in the 20s and 30s with a little bit of uh, debt. They are about 50% debt to capital, uh, most, of, most of which is collateralized with trucks. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's well covered. And then even on the interest, um, I'm going to do a rough calculation here. Long-term debt is about $700 million. They probably pay 5%. That's $35 million. They've got EBITDA margins of 15, so they might have $700 million in EBITDA, and they might have, uh, you know, $40, $50 million in interest expense. So very well covered. Um, it's 10 times EBITDA. I'm going to look at that as a 10% cash-on-cash return. I'm going to get growth that I think is GDP-related, um, but also they're picking up share because railroads are picking up share. And when you hire these guys, you think you're hiring a railroad for that piece of business that is with Burlington. And I think that might be as much as half of their business now. They also have other business where they're just contracting to do, you know, over-the-road trucking for various people. Um, but I think the rail piece is really the core of their uh you know, their uh, secret to profitability. Estimates have been coming in just a teeny bit. So that doesn't alarm me too much. And it's just a very solid company. The only negative to me on this one, Mo, is the chart, which you probably like. But it's uh, this stock was at $20 four years ago. It's now $55. Um, but I would say still very attractively priced. And you got 20, 28 analysts that followed. I didn't think there were 28 firms out there that could afford to pay analysts anymore. But 28 yeah. analysts with got, that have got a target price of 62 bucks, And, you know, here's another observation. You look at free cash flow, and I like to look at this number because, it, and I ask myself, when you generate a lot of free cash flow, what do you do with it? Well, for companies that don't have a lot of capital infrastructure that they've got to put that free cash flow into, they typically do one of two things. They pay a dividend, yeah. they increase the dividend, or they buy back shares. So if you look at 2008... This was the first year the company had a big windfall, $200 million in, in free cash flow. What do they do? They took the share count down from 138 million shares to 129 million shares. Yeah. Then they, they, they had a couple of decent years of free cash flow, nothing crazy, but all of a sudden they're starting to generate a lot of free cash flow again. And what have you seen? You've seen shares go from $129 million in 2009, $128 million in 2010, Hundred and twenty-two million in 2011. I don't know where the uh, where the shares are now, but these guys are on track to generate 180, almost 180 million in cash flow. And uh, so I think the shares continue to come down. That continues to drive um, 
above above average EPS growth, better than uh, better than their sales growth. So even if you're just looking at this as a play on the economy, I think you can also look at it as a play where they can they can manufacture some above average earnings growth just by shrinking the share base. Well, the dividend they're they're continuing to raise as well. Mark. Yeah, you've got a, you got a one percent yield on the dividend, and that's been that's been a reasonable increase in dividend. Um, you well, know, it's they, not a yield play at all, but they're showing no. confidence in the cash flow by raising the dividend absolutely, pretty consistently. Absolutely. You look at you know, 40, 44, 48, 52, 57 in each one of the last respective years. So you, And they've kept that dividend yield. As the stock has gone up, they've kept that dividend yield around 1% in each year. I wonder why they threw in the odd dividend, 57. It's like 32, 36, 40, 44, 48, 52. Fifty-seven. I wonder if there was a change in the board of directors. Yeah, could have been. I mean, that's a prime number. I would go that's look odd. at that. Or I think it? It, you know well, when maybe you, it is. When we say that directors are <clears throat> signaling to shareholders uh, what their intents are, what their feelings are through yeah. the dividend, you wonder when it's an odd number. They're feeling euphoric. I wonder just if they're had feeling some train wreck and yeah, raise the dividend. I'm just wondering. You're, but you're absolutely right. We can't play the dividend. Guess the dividend on that. But I would can, have gotten that one wrong, Mo. I have, have to just be honest about an that. Odd number. Another yeah. thing Who to research. Who would have thought? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Papa John's Pizza. Up. Papa John's. Another marijuana play. PCZA. Well, it's we're just going and and truckers. That's that's a marijuana play as well. I mean, someone's got to carry this stuff from state to state, and someone's got to eat after you have a few. And uh, someone's got to have something to do while they're driving, right? right. I mean, right. it all kind of goes together. So, Papa John's, another killer. It's chart. killer charts, but that's not what I like about it, Mo. Hmm. What I like about it is, again, it's come through our screen. Look at these returns on assets. They're very consistent. They're mid-teens. They lever it a little bit. Return on equity in the twenties and thirties. Uh, debt, twenty percent debt to cap, so it's low. A lot of free cash flow. Uh, three bucks a share in the most recent uh, period, and uh, also a little bit of a history of buying shares back. It's ten times EBITDA again, ten percent cash on cash return. And I want to ask the listener something. Think about the phone numbers that you know that can dial up a delivery. Uh, food to you. Food. I'm going to suggest, and just try this right now, can you remember a pizza phone number? And then can you remember any other phone number? I'm going to suggest to you, Mo, that pizza is the ultimate inconvenience. Not only do you remember the phone number, um, but you also, you know, can, uh, can get it quickly. It's cheap. You can eat it while you're doing other things. You can eat it while you're doing this show, which is yeah, what we did. Pass that pizza. <laughs> what we did the last, the uh, last show we did. We, oh, that's right. We did do that. Yeah. So it's it's very convenient. It's low cost. And uh, and in this case, you know, it's 10 times EBITDA, which it, it it's at the high end. It generally trades 5 to 12. But um, I'm willing to pay up a little bit for it because it's still a very attractive uh, you know, total return to me. I'm going to get the 10% cash on cash. And then what am I going to get for growth? Well, I don't know. But when I look at the numbers here, it looks like they're they're delivering at least 5% growth every year. And I think about this as population growth plus the number of people that increasingly like pizza. 
and I think it's in the ascension in terms of um, you know food groups. You've got your you got your vegetables, your meat, candy corns. You got that. You got your dairy, and you got your pizza. I right. mean, it's it's on all the charts. So I think that. Uh, it's a low risk in the sense of you know being a fad. I don't believe pizza's a fad, and uh, they continue to gain share from other types of things, and it's cheap. and uh, And I like their um, I like their history of, of pretty good returns. So well, you know, it's not me, more complicated than that, Mo. Here's here's a question for you: uh, Pizza is not an undiscovered food in the United States, and we have an That's incoming we have an incoming telephone call Let's from that. a. Hey, so listener, listener. we didn't let's, even give the dial in. Let's see what they have to say. Hello? Our button, push the button for a second. Oh, yeah, sure. So we said pizza is not an undiscovered food in the United States. No. No, but and, uh, uh, in some countries, probably. But, yeah, to, I, I, don't know, I don't know what their international expansion plans are, but... Um, you know, if you look at the company's revenues, and here's here's where I'm going to pose a challenge for you to figure this out. The stock's been just a great stock. It's been up 27% in 2009, another 18%. Don't these numbers just make you, give you goosebumps? 18% I in 2010, it. 36% in 2011, 42% in 2012. So killer, killer stock. But listen to this. Explain this to me. Yes, sir. Revenues. Yeah. A billion one in 2008. Yeah. A billion one in 2009. Yeah. A billion one in 2010. It's quite a growth track. Yeah. It's been a billion two in 2011, a billion three in 2012. So we're not talking much in the way of revenue growth. The same thing is true when you look at when you look at the uh, you know the, uh, the the cash flow numbers. It is. Uh, you know, EBITDA of 130, 120, 120, 130. And, and I can't figure out what's making this stock go up the way it's been going up. It's not like they're buying, you know, buying in their shares. It's not like they're, you know, jacking up the, the dividend. That's not there. They've got, uh, they've got some modest free cash flow, but there's no, been no spike there. So usually when a stock has this kind of a huge return. Yeah. Um, there is some more <clears throat> obvious, you know, this I've got some of my thoughts for you, Mo. One of the mystery shows. Great. What, yeah, what do you think? I've got several, okay. several thoughts. One, pizza's delicious. Ah, well, so that explains yeah. it. So that's part of it. But no, if you look here, in 2006, shares outstanding, 33. Yep. Now, 25. What's that delta? I'm going to just punch it into my calculator here. That is a 24% reduction in shares, which if I take 1 over 0.76 is, let's see, this is tricky. That's a 31% increase in the value per share just as a result of shrinking the shares. Great. That, that, doesn't that, explain, that, yeah. that might explain one year, but how do you explain yeah, a 43% explains, increase well, in 2012? Okay, here I know. It's crazy. So you got that. Yep. Also, look at the sales. A Flat. billion in, well, I'm going to tell a different story, Mo. Okay. One billion in 06. Yeah. 1.3 billion in 2012. That's six years. 4% compounded 30%. annual. 4% a yeah. year. Yeah. 
Yeah. Four yeah. percent a year. Now explain this to me. So that doesn't explain a twenty six percent increase in two thousand nine. Well here's what twenty, maybe. thirty, forty. But look over here, Mo. Look yeah. back in 06. Yes. The stock was at around forty. Yeah. And now it's at fifty three. So you're saying that this is simply there they got the baby was thrown out again with the bathwater because when you look at this company, and this is what surprises me. I wish I I wish I was thinking this back in two thousand eight. When the economy collapsed, you know, I know pizza is a discretionary income, but Papa John's pizza is not exactly high end. And you would think that if you... Only the finest ingredients, they say. That is true. But you would have thought that you would not have seen a big hit to their sales or to the EBITDA. And you didn't see that big hit. So the, the stock really got its clock cleaned during the uh, during the downturn. Yeah. And uh, what you're saying is that it's basically just regaining... I think so. Even though you are, so the question. I mean, there's another important thing here too. Look at the debt. Back in 07, 08, 130. Yeah, now now it's 50. 50. I mean, they've taken a big chunk of that out. Yep. And uh, but you know that, and that that's interesting because there's a big picture as we go into you know uh, national economic trends. One of the things that's been remarkable about this recession and, and and very slow recovery is you've seen corporate America really, really. uh bolster their balance sheets. Yeah. Pay down debt. They've got, they've got good cash on hand, and these yeah. guys are another prime example of that. Uh, I still wonder, wow, that's a, it's been a remarkable recovery. I just wish that we were having a show, and, you know, we could we could rebrand the show as a 2008 show, put it on the... <laughs> Put it on the uh, put it on the web under the history, and we could right. be recommending this stock, and would look like geniuses. Yeah, that well, I already happen. do that, Mo. <laughs> I mean, I recorded this five years ago. I knew that, or in the future, yeah. this was put it on now. Um, well, you you raise a lot of questions. I think that uh, you know one thing that happened during this period is that the consumer got so whacked that I think anything in discretionary consumer land took a big hit. Are you telling me pizza is discretionary? Well, that's what people think. I thought your partner is always using this this term needs or wants. That's what I say. I needs and not wants. Well, but is pizza a need? Now you got this is out to dinner. This isn't you. So a lot of the thinking was during these difficult times, people will be cooking at home without necessarily realizing. Mo and a lot of listeners are going to know this. It's cheaper to order a pizza than it is to eat at home, particularly when you take into account the value of your time. Right. And so I think that you know it got whacked. Some of this could also be international. I think they have an international business, and, you know, the dollar's been strong. These pizza companies have a big issue with cheese prices and dairy. You know, milk moves around a lot. So what we don't know from staring at this, although I do know from actually owning the stock years ago. I didn't own it during this beautiful period here, but I owned it about 10 years ago. And the thing that they have to always worry about, all these companies have to worry about, is cheese and the inventory of the cheese costs and the volatility with that. And it sounds weird to a casual listener, but that's their biggest quarter-to-quarter, year-to-year fear is just the prices of cheese because as it moves around, you can't adjust your pizza prices as quickly. And so maybe if we did a little homework on this, which I'm not suggesting, by the way, uh, that back in 08, maybe cheese... Was, was a little more expensive. expensive. And yeah. now cheese is a little cheaper. cheaper. I mean, now, it's not showing up in their margins, but they hedge it out. So yeah. it could be that back here, 
they lost a bunch of money on mm. cheese yep. uh, you know, futures, and but now they've made money on cheese futures. Well, we're about to segue into national economic trends, and we'll just see if the, uh, the Federal Reserve of um, uh, St. Louis has a cheese index. They're going to weigh in on the cheese front. Yes, so, way in, yeah. way, as in W-H-E. Yeah, that was a com- that was a commodity comedy. Way. Yeah. Anyway. So what do you think? Are we done with this one? We're done. Papa John's. Whew. All right. Ladies and gentlemen. Didn't think we were going to make it. This is that exciting part of the show where we page through the St. Louis Federal Reserve publication, National Economic Trends, which you can dial up yourself. It's free, and that's why we use it. Uh, but it has everything you need to know. Uh, about the U.S. economy. And then a little bit that you don't need to know. Yeah, much that you don't need. And the beautiful thing about this, Mo, is it's updated through today. Yes. Today, which is amazing. So, of course, we haven't uh, done any of the work associated with this, and I I thought I printed those things out. You did? I'm looking at mine. Uh, Where the heck is mine? Well, we normally take a break at this point because we? we need the lead in song. Yeah. Well, let's do that. Let's take a break. We'll be back and, and we'll be right back. In an hour. Back with paging through national economic trends, um, and uh, I think we've got several really critical insights this week, Mo. We do, or you do? <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping. I know I don't, but you—you you were just talking about something. Well, I was, but before before we get there, I wanted to just uh, you know, very, right up front, I yeah, I don't know. Do they? Uh, does the uh, Federal Reserve of St. Louis when they put this together? Yes. Right there's there's you know there's there's, there's page 40, after page. 40 pages of this yeah. stuff. Is it done in uh in uh it's not done alphabetically. So do they put the most important stuff in the front? Is that how what we're supposed to look at and then the less important stuff in the back? Is there any or is it there's no rhyme or reason to this? Shout out to the Fed. Tell us how you organize uh, the data. I'm going to just make a guess. Yes. Cuz I have no idea. Right. And that's what we do here on the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Say that three times fast. I can't. That's why I said it slowly. Okay, look, real GDP growth. That's important. Right. So I think that's the first thing. Consumer price index. So they must think that's important. Industrial production. Consumer price and interest rates, unemployment rates. So I think they've got some logic logic here based on the most important or the perceived most important indices. Because, look, they've saved... uh, the federal debt for like the last page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hiding that. Hopefully, we right. won't notice it. So. Well, you know, right on the very front is the unemployment rate, and the question is, you know, it's 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 getting very close to seven, you know, point six, seven point seven percent. The Fed's gonna move into QE. You know, it's like eight QE nine, QE yeah. ten. It's like a Sylvester yeah. Stallone movie. Yeah, right? yeah, they keep QE um, everything. But it's uh, they they've got to get that number down before they stop the uh, the infusions. But uh, you know you got to love the as a chart guy you got to love it and and the unemployment rate is definitely dipping. It just keeps going down, and I think uh, 
you know, it took the most recent leg here is another sharp drop down. And so clearly the economy is repairing. And I think this chart, you know, during the election, people were saying they were making this up or whatever. I mean, it's been going straight down for three years. Right. So I don't think uh, they've been making that up. So um, so that that's sort of a continues to be a good looking chart. I've got some bad news, Mo. You do? Yeah. What I've is got, that? Well, the bad news is here on page five. Yeah. Maybe you glossed over it. Just wanted to stay in a happy mood. Industrial production, my friend. Ooh. Look at this. Yeah. Left scale. And it's been running uh, most of 2012. It looks like starting in about March, the monthly change, and I'm assuming this is versus a year ago. It doesn't exactly say Negative, that. negative, 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 negative. Now it's negative by a teeny bit. But still. Still negative. And so uh, it's been negative less than 1%, but that's still negative. We're going to be looking for this to change because if this stays negative, that's negative. Yeah, it is. I and, don't want to uh, be overly know. negative here on the show, but <laughs> right. you need industrial production to be moving higher. Now, on the other hand, on the same page, there's a couple other curious items. First, real GDP revisions. This is always interesting because the headline tells you GDP – but just so you know, that's not really GDP. you got to wait for the revision. It's the GDP guess. The guess. And then they revise a second time, a third time, and then annually. Well, that's what they do with the employment numbers, and, too. Yeah, so. everything gets revised. But here, uh, the most recent uh, quarter, third quarter 2012, was just revised up from 2 annual rate to nearly 3%. And I think that's a, a big positive. And then back in uh, the fourth quarter of 2011, we thought the growth rate was 3%. It turns out it was really 4%, which might make the fourth quarter of 2012 a tougher comparison. So, yeah, well, the thing is that even though, uh, even though um, industrial production is going down, we're eating more Papa John's pizzas. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing uh, uh, higher GDP, higher uh, employment, and uh, you know that's where or I think the Papa future John's the future is. Well, here's my question: Is Papa John's is that industrial production or is that services or food? You know, I don't know. I don't think that's in a industrial. If you've, production. If you've ever tasted the pizza, you, you might say it, it was uh, yeah. industrial production. All right, let's see. Um, we don't want to waste people's time here on the show. I've right. got one other thing, right? I and I have one about. thing too. And then I'm going to let people just go off and live their lives. Good. Listen to some other show. They're waiting to do that. Inventory to sales ratio. What does that mean? That is the inventory divided by the sales. So what we're seeing here, and I think this is what's important, not the absolute number, which is 1.3, um, but the growth. So when you see this thing going up, which it was going down for a couple of years, it's been going up in 2012, that means... People are investing in inventories faster than they're selling stuff, which suggests one of two things. Either sales aren't as good as you'd hope and you bought too much inventory. Unfortunately, that would be the bad thing. Or you were or, anticipating a big yeah, and you're stocking up. and Stocking up. I'm going to assume it's that one because so far here in the holiday season, we're not seeing a lot of people talk about too much weakness in consumer. 
Uh, and we're going to see what happens. People used to report sales more frequently than they do now, so we don't know exactly what's going on here for the holiday. But the stock market's acting well. This inventory to sales ratio number usually goes down. The fact that it's going up suggests to me that maybe 2013, uh, there's going to be a few more goods around because business owners anticipate and the retailers are making a bet that they want to have they don't want to be shy of inventory when the yeah. demand kicks in now on the other hand with the fiscal cliff and we almost got through the show without saying it but i'm saying it now fiscal cliff these guys seem to be working through a deal where we're going to get some tax increases we'll get some spending cuts everything gets kicked down the road and that's probably okay for stocks in the short term we will have to fix the debt problem in the long term. But if they don't get this deal, then I think you're facing a very difficult first quarter, and, and maybe that's you know, why so many people think they will work something out is because if they don't, it's, it's so terrible for the economy. Well, you know, and you mentioned we, we are going to have to see a compromise. We are going to have to see some increases in taxes, and we are going to have to see some spending cuts, and that leads us to page 13, page 13. of National Economic okay. Trends. And look, this is where I uh, this is where I get to eulogize. All right. There's a there's a chart here, and it's called personal savings rate. And you just did yeah. some math for me, which I thought was pretty interesting because I was talking to you about it during the break. Yeah. I had said that you know during 2007, which was the you know the boom boom years, personal savings rate was two percent. Was appalling. Yeah. It was appalling. Um. And uh, during 2000, uh, I'm sorry, during 2007, it was 2%. I think I said that. In 2008, when we had the big scare, everyone said, I'm paying down my credit card debt. You know, this living beyond my means is, is crazy. And you saw a nice uptick. Americans were saving almost 8% of their, of their income. And, uh, you know, Americans being Americans, as soon as the scare started to wear off, we're back down at 4% savings. Yeah. Now, you did some math for me because wow. I said we were about to Google what should you be saving, <clears throat> Yeah. Given, especially given the fact that we are going to see some safety net cuts. We may see Social Security kick in at a later date. We may see... Yeah. Um, Medicare, you know, tailored back. You're going to have to rely on yourself a little more. And you were talking about if you're saving only four percent of your income. How does the math work? It's pretty straightforward. In this interest rate environment, you can't really count on a lot of growth in your savings for retirement. Hey, you don't want to take on too much risk. You need to take some. You don't want to take too much that you'll lose your money. And as soon as you don't want to take risk that might lose you money, you're going to have low returns. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. But let's face it, when you retire, let's say you want to have 10 years of income after that, or 20. You might live a long time, but let's just say 10, just to scare the crap out of everyone by just using 10 as an example. Right. In order to have 10 years of income, that's a 1,000% of income, right? Because 100% would be one year. 10 years is 1,000%. So if you save 4% a year, you're going to need to save that for 250 years to get 1,000% of your income to last you 10 years. And I don't know about you, Mo, and, you know, there's science and there's medical advances and all that, so it's quite possible that some of our listeners will have a chance to save 
for 250 years, and I hope they do, and I hope they're related to me, uh, and they keep me alive in a, in, a fro- in a freezer. But I think that what this tells you is a couple things. A, at, at 4%, you're not saving enough for your retirement, so you're counting on something else. And people do have access to other things. You are going to get Social Security. There's always a lottery. Uh, It might be. Well, I'm not going to count on that. Social Security, I think for a lot of people, it might end up paying them, what, 40%, 50% of their wages? Oh, maybe. So now you only need 125 uh, years of savings. And then, you know, people have spouses. And if you marry younger, those people could keep working. So that's my advice. Marry younger working people so that you don't, again, that's going to solve some of your savings problem. Beyond that, you have the reduction in expenses. So if you don't, if, if you don't have the math working out to where you're going to have 10 or 20 years of income at your current rate, you're going to have to cut your expenses so you don't need 10 years of your income to live. You need five because you've cut your expenses by 50%. And I'll tell you, that is a much tougher nut than you think. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, uh, one of the things that, um, you know, we're getting close to retirement, we've, we, we're using a software program called Expense It. And uh, every penny we spend, we put into Expense It. And when you analyze that at the end of one whole year and you say, how could we cut this down meaningfully? Man, I got to tell you. It is hard to guess where you think you're going to cut those expenditures down. Well, liquor is not as cheap as it once was. That is true. Now, uh, the legalization of marijuana may change that, and that could could change this whole paradigm right here. Yeah, but aside from that, 4% ain't going to work. It's not going to work out. Unless you think you're going to live 250 years. To earn enough to the... Well, or, you know, you sell your house. And you live in a smaller house in a cheaper place. I mean, if you live in New great York, strategy a while ago, but not yeah. such a great well, strategy now, today. If you live in, if you have a nice home in in a big city, uh, you know you can probably sell it and get a similar sized home in a small town or some other place. And so, but to your point, it is going to take a little work to have all that work out. And four percent is not a good number. Go to the uh, go to the St. Louis Reserve page thirteen. Look at that chart yeah. and weep. It's scary. So um, I just had one more quick thing, Mo, and I'm going to end on this. Real consumption, page 12, on durables. I'm just looking at this here. It hit 8% year-over-year change in the f- most recent period of 2012, and I'm looking at 25 years of data right now, and there's only... A handful of periods. I'm going to say that over that 25 years, there's been maybe four years of time. When we've been up this high. Where we've been this high in terms of year-over-year durable goods uh, or purchases. And and that is, um, that's good for the economy. But it's also why the savings rate's so low. (laughs) And that is is the the paradox. paradox. Thank you. Paradox. I said paradigm. Paradox. Okay, can it be a paradigm as well or not? Well, paradox is uh, two surgeons in a room. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, that's a good place to end, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with your hosts, Val Hughes and Momentum. And uh, and we'll see you next week if we live through the Christmas party, which is tomorrow it's night. tomorrow night, and, yeah. And given how the... 
the kitchen is stocked, if we don't die of alcohol poisoning, we there is will a be lot there. of stuff in there. There's oh no. Oh my room. God! So uh, see all our caveats, disclaimers, pictures, and uh, a, a careful discussion about our upcoming Christmas party at www.thevalueguys.com. Have a good weekend. Bye, everybody.